You have to suck at something before you can be good at it. Welcome to the River of Suck podcast, episode 3. River of Suck is real talk about struggles with confidence, self-doubt, and becoming the U.S.D. you that you can be. I am your host, Andy Reiner. My guest today is Natalie Padilla, a true Rocky Mountain fiddler, originally from Montana and now a longtime resident of Colorado. Hey, Natalie. <laughs> hey, Andy. <laughs> Welcome to the River of Suck. Thank you. It's so good to be here. You're not new to the swim team. No, I'm not. I'm not new to the swim team. How did you first hear of the River of Suck? Well, I think I heard of the River of Suck before I knew it was called the River of Suck. Oh. But I officially heard about the River of Suck from you, Andy, at your <laughs> camp. Officially. <laughs> at the Rustic Roots camp, and I very much resonated with it because I thought, wow, I'm in that, and I've been in that, and I'm going to keep being in that, and that's okay. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. We have a lot of similarities in our musical path. Going way back to when we were kids, I grew up playing with my family in the Reiner Family Band in Massachusetts, and you grew up in a family of musicians as well. Did you have an official family band? Oh my gosh, we or, did. You did. And guess what? It was the Padilla family band, consisting oh, nice. of me and my sister and my parents. Okay. And, uh, what did everyone play? Well, um, it depended on the song, but right. uh, there was three fiddle players, bass, basses, guitars. I kind of played mandolin, I think a little bit, and a tenor <laughs> guitar and singing. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yes. Wow, they got you to sing? Yes. Yes. That's how you became an awesome singer. You've been doing it for a while. I think so. You know, I stopped singing, though, for basically four years straight in college. And then I had to go back to singing and thought, wow, <laughs> I suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's a process. I'm right. still still working on sucking well, less. In, <laughs> sucking less. <laughs> One of the problems that I had growing up in a musical family was that I didn't think the music that we were playing was cool. Did you ever struggle with that? You know, I, at a certain point, I absolutely did. I even went so far as to totally claim to my family, I hate bluegrass music. And it totally wasn't true because <laughs> my parents were in a band at the time. They would have band practice downstairs and, you know, I would pretend I didn't like it. But I would actually listen through the doors and think it was pretty cool. But I think that's just being a teenager, wishing that your family was, quote, normal and that you didn't have to practice before you hung out with your friends and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot going on that made me kind of wish I wasn't <laughs> in that situation. But Yeah, the idea of, like, what is even normal in the first place, like... We both grew up in a family band, so now that I've met a lot of people who've who've grown up in families like that, it seems like it should have felt more normal than it did. But when I looked around, I did not see other families doing that, and it right. I, w- I was embarrassed. I was too. Yeah, your friends. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're you know nothing. But really, it's like you know we had a gig down at you know somewhere playing for you know, the winter fair or something like that. And my mom also, and looking back, it was so cool. And my mom is amazing. She did the Gallatin Valley Junior Fiddlers. And it was a group of 
I don't know, 15 to 20 fiddlers from the ages 6 to 18 or something. Um, and we did gigs all around. It was all very organized, triple fiddles, you know, bows go in mm-hmm. the same direction, all that jazz. But it, uh, yeah, at a certain point, you know, about 7th seventh, seventh or 8th grade as a girl, that's not really where you want to be caught in your social circles. Hmm. <laughs> I had those moments of, yeah. of maybe wishing I could you know, be a little bit more like everyone else. But um, ultimately, it's been one of the like the best things, I think, for our family, too, now that we're older. I mean, we just got to play some family band stuff on stage, and it was really fun. And, yeah. You know, it's like when we come home for Christmas, we play tunes and sing, and it's really fun. Um, and even during that time of my life, it was... It's pretty cool to like look over and see your parents and you're playing music together. Yeah. And while I was maybe embarrassed to admit that that was a cool thing, it, it did give me the feels in a good way back <laughs> then too. <laughs> totally. Yeah, It's like, and I think that's actually one of the biggest parts of the river of suck is sometimes you don't even know you're in it and that you, you can't even see the other side. But Very somehow true. you keep going and over the course of years it like works out. Yeah. And I'm so, I mean, I'm so glad that we stuck with it, even if it was hard. Me too. I think that's, that's the hardest part, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I can't even remember if I mentioned it, but I did full-on quit um, classical lessons. Oh. For a year, and at that point, I was, like, really wanting to do conservatory stuff, like, go on, you know, do a bunch of classes. How how old were you then? I think I was 13 or so, and I was starting to enter some competitions, you know, playing the really difficult stuff, and I just lost interest, and I thought, like, I do not even like these pieces, they're too hard, I don't sound good on them, (laughs) and so I was in the river of suck, but I didn't really realize it, and I just kind of lost interest for a while, and I only played fiddle for like a year, and I finally did go back to classical, but, but that was really interesting to to make a big decision because from you know when you're six and you're having weekly lessons and orchestra is like your life yeah and then just quit cold turkey you're like nope i'm just gonna play fiddle tunes <laughs> <laughs> the river of suck is a mythical river that represents the distance between ourselves today and our future selves we're on the side with the comfort cave no risk no struggles all things we already know how to do. We can look across to the other side and see mythical future versions of ourselves who can do the things we wish we could do now. The problem is that in between us and the other side is whitewater rapids, rocks, and thought piranhas, the negative thoughts in your head. Today I'd like to add another river term, hydraulic, where the water passes over an object and creates a dangerous swirling cycle of spinning water that can cause drowning, or at the very least, some water in your lungs. Point is, it's not so easy to get better at impossible-seeming challenges. How do you see the river of suck in your life, in music or otherwise? Man, it's it's there. I'm, like, always in the river of suck. <laughs> but um, I would say, if I could add one more element to mm-hmm. to all those elements, yeah, the, the piranhas, the, 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 I think fog. Fog. Because sometimes fog rises on the river, and you thought so clearly that's where you wanted to go and that's where you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden fog settles in, and then all of a sudden you're not quite so sure because maybe things have changed and you're out of the river. And then I personally go through some some of these phases of not quite even knowing what my goals are, but I still like really want to go somewhere. You're just reaching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you know that the shoreline's over there somewhere. 
But you can't even see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that that's kind of me a lot of the time. <laughs> I have I have goals of, of the way I want to play mm-hmm. and the way I want to be. And then sometimes that, you know, doesn't seem as important the next day or, or something else will catch my interest. And I'll think that's a little more important. So how do you keep track of all those different things? <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult. Uh, one of the things I do, though, is I like to write, I mean, like, you know, pencil paper. And uh, I've done The Artist's Way a couple times, which is a kind of a book written by Julia Cameron. And one of the things in there is uh, what she calls morning pages. And you just, I like to think of it as a brain dump in the morning. You just write whatever comes to your mind and that that all that gains a lot of clarity for me hmm. and it kind of helps if you you get in the same mind space when i sit down you know you sit down to write you're you're there hmm. and you can start to see patterns over you know a bunch of throughout time like you'll find that oh for a week straight i mentioned this a lot and then you know a week later it's not even oh, doesn't yeah. matter that kind of thing you know mm-hmm. i think that can help me clear some of the clutter. Okay. Nice. Do you think the river of suck applies to just music or also to life as you try to navigate this world? I think it absolutely applies to life. Like every part of life. (laughs) Um, I mean, I have this joke with my sister that when, you know, New Year's resolutions, we always used to say, just do better. (laughs) I want to do better. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of the river of suck in like everything you do, right? Mm -hmm. I think, but there's also that balance. You want to do better, but you also don't want to drive yourself insane trying to do all these things better. So like, what's an example of, of an element of your life that's not music? Oh man, there's like physical activity sports i love to ski uh, i like to run um, i love to cook i yeah. like to i'm a very novice drawer i've just been doing pencils my sister got me some watercolors for christmas and that uh was interesting to try <laughs> <laughs> but stuff like that i like i like to to challenge myself in other ways Here's a fiddle-specific question from the swim team, this time from Austin in Connecticut. The fiddle seems so needy when it comes to fundamentals. Are there things you do every day to keep this up, or do you hit a point where you've sort of made it a part of you and you can just play? Every time I think I'm there and just spend time learning tunes or transcribing or doing ear training and mental practice, I see my tone and intonation slipping by the wayside. Man, how that is so true. I do have a little routine that if I even have 10 minutes, five minutes, I always start with open strings. And this might sound like... You want, a, you want to demonstrate it in the uh, one minute version of this routine? <laughs> yeah. All my students are going to be like, oh my gosh, open strings. But yes, cause we do it <laughs> lots of lessons. Just I use full bow and try to get the best tone you can. What's that sound you know, like? Just... And so on. Do all the strings, do yeah. different... Um, you know, quicker bows, bow crossings. And the reason I do this is not only for myself and my bow arm to loosen up those muscles, but your fiddle sounds so much different after five minutes of really loud open string playing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's funny. I tell my students also to do that. Yeah. 
And <laughs> do you do that yourself, Andy? Not enough. Yeah. I find that when I'm thinking that I don't sound good, that's usually what I need to do to fix mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, I always come back to it. Yeah, and it's an interesting relationship thing with your fiddle. Do you ever feel like you guys are fighting or, or you know, things are Yeah, going like well? sometimes I'll be fighting with this fiddle and I'll pick up the other fiddle and this fiddle will look back at me with like a dirty, dirty glare. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's, a, it's with any, any relationship you have. Yeah. If you spend some time with it, it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And... And for me, maybe it's the classical background thing, but I really feel like to get the the tone and my intonation under control, I have to be doing open strings. And I do lots of little finger patterns to physically warm them up before I do the scales. Um, So you do finger patterns and scales? Finger patterns and scales. And I do try to add an element of improv a little bit someday, like just Mm -hmm. change it up in some way. You can have a rough structure of what you're doing, but... But so, doing it different so that your mind is still engaged. You're not just on autopilot. Here's my warm-ups. Right. It's not repetition. It's, it's yeah. sort of practicing the concepts. So could you squeeze that second five minutes of your warm-up into <laughs> a 15-second playing? Yeah. So so something you could do to warm up your fingers, just like a, I do this one a lot. The... You could do that on a scale and... I don't know. I've never done that before, but it it would work in theory. <laughs> if, um, if you but, were to do it, <laughs> yeah, different keys. Um, I I also, if it looks like it's going to be inconvenient for the bow, then do it anyways because it's good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sometimes this is another favorite for an improv one is play double stops the whole time and you can only change one note at a time. And that's the only rule. So it's like, yeah. I love doing that. Let's can we can we both do that at the same time and yeah. see what it sounds like for a second? Yeah. One, two, ready, go. I messed up a note. <laughs> How can you mess up a note and then when it doesn't uh, have a pattern. Well, because I changed both my notes at the same time. Oh, okay. Fair enough. The one rule. You broke it. I broke the rule. <laughs> and I apologize, which means I broke my other rule. That's good, <laughs> good rule. <laughs> Never apologize for your music or things you did that don't hurt anybody. That's right. The whole idea of being sorry for, for mistakes, I think, is so funny. And so many people are like... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, bleep. <laughs> but, and, and so people walk into each other and they're like, oh, sorry. So, of course, one of my things that I started doing was saying pterodactyl for all the moments that I didn't truly need to actually be sorry. Then making sorry more special and using it when I really deserved to need to apologize for something. Yeah, that's, I totally agree with that. Can't stand it when... Especially if I'll be teaching a student something and they're learning and they say sorry for not being able to repeat it back. I'm like, what? You're, you're learning. Don't apologize. And with teaching, I don't usually call it the river of suck, but that can be the best thing to try to get across to my students that 
what you're feeling right now, first of all, sorry, it's never going to go away. But it's Pterodactyl. Just gonna, well, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hate to break this news to you, student, but it's never going to go away. And that's a good thing. So you have to learn how mm-hmm. to, to use it in your advantage. And so I will often tell students my current issues or right. or rapids that I'm going through mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't believe me but it's true yeah <laughs> I think of it too is like teaching you're sort of trying to identify what river of suck your student is in and you're yes. you're actually a shepherd through the yes. valley of suck yes that's a huge one because I I can often and they, sometimes they don't believe me, but when I tell my students, like, I'm actually struggling all the time with the exact same thing, just on a different level, they right. kind of don't believe you. But you really show them, like, no, this is literally what's going through my mind when I'm playing, and that's what you're telling me, too. So <laughs> so we can help each other out a little bit, too. And, and you know, you never really... It'd be bad if we ever got out of the river of suck, wouldn't it? Right, because so then, then over we... There. Yeah, <laughs> I'm perfect. On the other side, all perfect and stuff, yeah. yeah. Well, then you stop growing, and, and the, I think yeah. that's the thing about how music is so infinite. You get to the other side, and you realize that there's infinite rivers. Yes. And you sort of have to pick your battles, because you can't actually learn everything there is to know. It's, act- it's, it's impossible. Right. So, yeah, that's, I think that's part of what makes it fun, but it's also frustrating. It <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the river is ultimately a blessing and really fun to be in if you can start to see it that way but you know yeah. you're always going to be in one so whatever you're in look around and say you know how can I how can I make a little bit of headway to the next right. river but <laughs> do, do you feel like uh, working with other people on their own river of stuff helps you uh, figure out what you're supposed to be doing with your life ever absolutely all the time when I'm teaching, I'll tell my students something, and then in the back of my head, I'm like, man, if I actually took my own advice. Oh, yes. right. <laughs> so, so I think actually teaching these things that I know is good for me. It's like telling someone, hey, eating healthy and exercising five days a week is really good for you, but I don't actually do that. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so if you were to do this, you would get better. Yeah, so it's that kind of thing. And then you know, telling my students that is actually a really good incentive to do it myself. Yeah, and yeah. then when I actually start to do those things, and I can kind of give my students success reports of mm-hmm. my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important for them to know that we're all still like you haven't just gotten good and, you know, you're done. Like we're actually we're all kind of in one little tugboat. Yes, exactly. And so to to help students see that that's not a bad thing that you're mm-hmm. on a journey and you don't want the journey to end because that'd be boring. Yeah. <laughs> Here at the River of Suck podcast, the biggest question is how to maintain a healthy attitude in the face of impossible obstacles. Ah, impossible obstacles. Well, first of all, you can't see them as impossible obstacles. They're just like another thing or goals. Um, impossible with an asterisk. Yes. And <laughs> this is something that I I am always trying to do. And this is another comment that someone said recently that stuck with me. Um, and I love her dearly. But she said to me, you're one of the... Are you kidding me? You don't think you're serious? You're one of the most serious people I know. And I was immediately really hurt and offended by that because I was like, "What? I, I think the because the think the trick of this is you can't be too serious." <laughs> and then <laughs> for someone to say that I'm really serious, dang it! But was it after a concert? No, I was in a lesson. Oh, okay. <laughs> I oh, was you're, you're teaching the lesson. Yeah, so maybe I'm just a very serious teacher, but. 
Um, I do think that that's, there's a balance of, you have to take it serious enough, mm -hmm. but also you have to let go of so much of that's not in control. And so if you, that might be one way is to, I don't want to say not taking it seriously, but, but also realizing objectively, does this actually matter or affect, you know, your well-being? Are you going to die if that goes wrong? <laughs> no. Um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think there has to be a healthy balance of some sort of trying and not trying and knowing and letting go and that sort of thing. <laughs> You've competed in and won many contests. How do you think that's changed the way that you play and think about music? Well, when I was younger, I didn't, you know, a six-year-old, seven-year-old, you don't really think about what you're doing. You just, you know, someone tells you to go on stage and play those tunes and, and you do it <laughs> and it's fine and you're staring off into the distance the whole time. I There's definitely pictures of me doing that, you know, playing fiddle and just looking somewhere. Were you smiling or did you have a... No, I think I just did the zone out kids. Zone you know? out kid. <laughs> zone out kid. You know, uh, we all did that. <laughs> I did I I did the I think I was the frowning kid. Although I didn't feel like I was frowning, but but people told me that I was and they were like, You should smile more. And I'm like, No, I'm an angsty little kid. I don't care. <laughs> I got the you look bored. I've got I still actually get that. <laughs> Especially in orchestras and stuff. But as a kid, I didn't get nervous at all, didn't think much about it. But when you get to a certain age, you kind of, you're a little more aware of what's going on. Like, oh, there's, there's like people in a different room literally judging me and writing down scores. And that's what determines whether I get that 50 bucks or whatever and trophy. <laughs> so I got, I got more and more nervous, you know, the older I got. And eh, I don't oh, know, it was a good foundation. More and more nervous, not less nervous. Right, right. I'm interested in tracking this trajectory of nervousness. Can you track that through your life well, in terms of competitions? Yeah, I definitely remember not ever being nervous as a kid. And I think, so there's different divisions. When you get into, right. it always seems like a big deal when you get into the junior division. Because mm -hmm. that's, you know, you're, what is it, 14 to 18 year old, something like that. And that's kind of a big big age gaps. You kind of know the 18-year-olds are going to win, yeah. but you still want to do well, and there's a little bit more at stake, it seems like, than the other because divisions. Because you've now put in more time and investment into your... Well, we didn't think of it as craft at the time, but now right. we can. <laughs> and I don't think this ever crossed my mind at the time, but pro you know, you kind of start to have a little bit of a reputation, and there are those people out there like, oh, well, she won the blah, 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 you know. Watch you're, out for Natalie Padilla. No, <laughs> but you're almost expected to to do all right. And that could be some of it. And you're playing more difficult stuff, too. So do you think your nervousness peaked at like 18? Oh, I still get nervous all the time. I think I just have a different relationship with the nerves and that I, if I feel myself getting nervous, first of all, it means that you care, um, which I think is absolutely true. So that's always a good thing. So it's how can you use the nerves to your advantage? Thought piranhas. Yes. Well, but no, how do you turn those thought piranhas into helpful little guys? Because I think right. when you're just even a little bit nervous, your focus level is way higher. Yeah. But you have to exactly not let those little voices come in as much as possible. 
Do you feel like you're kind of through the course of your life going through a river of suck of cooking? <laughs> yes. Yes. I love I love recipes, but half the time I don't have what the recipe says, so then I just scrap it all together and look at what's in my fridge and pantry and try to make a cohesive meal. And sometimes I end up with something really delicious, and then there are also those times that it didn't quite work out. I'm always trying to break out of the same flavors. I think you gotta kind of switch up what ingredients you buy. Recently I've been buying some like fresh turmeric, which mm. is different. I made some awesome spiced curry lentils nice. the other week, and that was really spicy and awesome. Yes, I love eating. <laughs> yeah. I love well, cooking, so. You don't have a stove, but that has yeah. not discouraged you from cooking. No, no, you have to get a little more creative. I have a single hot plate and a recently purchased instant pot. And between those things, you can make a lot. I also have a wood stove, which I use for oh, usually yeah. mostly heating up leftovers. Nothing like leftover French fries. And it makes <laughs> your whole house smell like French fries. If it heats up on the stove, pretty great. <laughs> You just got to get creative. And it makes you, I mean, I'm cooking a lot of beans from dried, like dried beans, which I haven't done very much before. Mm -hmm. And legumes and more lentils. And that stuff's pretty fun to, to experiment with. You mentioned that sometimes it doesn't come out the way that you think it will. Yes. <laughs> what then? Do you still eat it? No, okay, so recently I was trying to, I had made a, like a spicy peanut sauce from a recipe once. Okay. And then I was kind of in a hurry, but I wanted that sauce, so I put, I was trying to use my memory to, and put it all together, and the ratios were not right. <laughs> it was fine, it was an okay sauce, but like, way too much grated garlic. You just add stuff and, I don't know, it's like music, you gotta just listen to it a little bit to be able to figure out what it needs. You can't just hastily taste it and then, you know hope it gets better mm -hmm. but yeah but you haven't ultimately been discouraged because because no. i think what happens sometimes when people fail at things or or they think they failed is they just quit and then they say well that's not a thing i can do right so, so i guess i guess what i'm so excited about in this podcast is really talking to people about situations where the failures turned into positive experiences. I mean, now you know to use less garlic. Have you made it again? Uh, no, I haven't, because that was just a couple weeks ago. Okay. But I will soon. It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I made it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to be creative to find the right solution. It's not always just staring you in the face. Right, and you might not always have that ingredient that would be perfect to fix it. You know, so you got to kind of look in your, your cupboard and start adding stuff. You never know. It'll, you know, cream is, is often yeah. a thing you can add or bouillon paste and, mm -hmm. you know, weird things that you might not quite think of. Or like in the super bean salad today, I wanted honey, but all the honey was not very liquidy and we ran out of maple syrup, except for the habanero maple syrup, which I wasn't sure about. It was really <laughs> spicy. And I saw my cream of coconut. I was like, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. It worked. Totally. Ha! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to experiment a lot with smoothies in those flavors, too. Like, seeing, pushing the limits of, like, what weird thing can I add before you can really taste it? Mm-hmm. The 1% effect, that it's still worth putting in a tiny bit of something because all the small amounts of 
of ingredients add up to something that's more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that probably extends more than just music. I mean, cooking. Wait, are we talking about cooking or music or life? I don't even know anymore. Well, both. One thing that I think is so important <laughs> about cooking and music and life is, I mean, food is our fuel. It's kind of like how scales are our are fuel for, uh-huh. for playing. You got to have good ingredients to make you feel good. You got to feel good to make music and practice. So so, awesome. so for you, cooking is, is a big part of your day and, yeah. and the, what's going to make your day successful or not. Yes. Yeah. Like if, I mean, of course I would love to just put four egos in a toaster if you want to smother with butter and maple syrup, but then I'd just be toast by 11 o'clock and, you know, if I ate a big Jimmy John's sub for lunch, then I just wouldn't. Maybe I'm more sensitive than most people, but I like to feel energized and good from what the food I eat. Yeah. And I also believe it needs to taste good. Yeah. None of that bland stuff. No. No. (laughs) I have to admit, I'm relatively new to this podcast thing. You could say I'm currently swimming the river of suck of podcasting. I'd like to thank all the members of the River of Suck swim team for your support, and I'd also like to thank What's Her Name podcast for being such a positive influence on me and this podcast. I've been listening to What's Her Name a lot as we drive the endless highways of the Mountain West. Hi everyone, I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. We're two academic sisters. And we host a podcast called What's Her Name. What's Her Name podcast tells you the stories of fascinating women that you've never heard of. We're unearthing the histories of really interesting women that have slipped through the cracks of our collective history. We add era-appropriate music. We interview really fascinating experts, everyone from professors to authors to the manager of a brothel museum. (laughs) We cover it all. So give it a listen. What'sHerNamePodcast.com One of my favorite things about your playing is how you draw from so many different styles of music, whereas many fiddle players kind of dive deep into just bluegrass, old-time, Swedish, Celtic. You sound awesome and authentic in each of those styles. Perhaps I feel a kinship in this pursuit because it's the same thing I strive for. How did increasing the scope of your focus help you develop your own voice? With the River of Suck concept, you never know where it's going to go, and Mm -hmm. so... You know, I kind of did the contest thing. I've always played classical, too, starting mm-hmm. at a young age. And I still do, and I love that. But at some point, you know, Celtic music was thrown into the picture. And I grew up playing Kindness and Bluegrass in the family band. Um, then I played a lot of Celtic music just because that's who the people I was hanging out with, that's what they played. Mm-hmm. And so I got really into that. And then I got really into old time, more, mostly because it just kind of showed up. Um <laughs> But I also had genuine interest in when I, it's this thing you hear, and I'm like, I could do that, but I had to put a little bit of work into that. And I also think that all those things have shaped my personal playing. Like when I write a tune, Mm -hmm. I can, if I don't think about it too much and I listen to it later, you can hear, oh, that that part kind of sounds Irishy. That's a little old timey. Oh, there's some bluegrass licks in there too. On some days I think this is a bad thing and that I'm unfocused. You know how you hold on to those really nice comments people give you over the years? Mm-hmm. I remember it was like way before I even thought of this ever. So it was a judge at a fiddle contest. 
and you know it's like in between the rounds he came up to me and he's like man great round and I'm thinking how'd you know it was me like you're behind a curtain whatever I didn't say that and but he just said like I can always tell it's you and I like your playing I, I remember thinking how can you always tell it's me I didn't really think <laughs> about that and then I realized it's it's these other styles kind of creeping into all the other styles mm -hmm. which again sometimes I can think is a bad thing but I ultimately don't think it's a bad thing I get the question sometimes, what's your favorite style to play? And I can't I can't really answer that. I mean What kind of what kind of music does your band play? Oh, we're a music band. We play music in our <laughs> we band. We play music. We sing sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can generally Sing, follow a beat. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm a fan of your fiddling and your songs. Aw, thanks, Andy. And one of the places I get to hear them is a band called Mason Town. Yes. What would you tell us about Mason Town? Well, Mason Town is a five-piece, looks like bluegrass band, and we do play some bluegrass, but we like to, we try to blend all of our respective styles together a little bit. So we even do a couple funky songs because. There's Bradley Morris, and he's a, you know, he, he's got some funk beats in him. And, uh... <laughs> That's Polaris meowing. She likes it. She's a big hi? fan of Mason Town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we sneak a little bit of some Irish flair in there. I always vote for some old time in there, because Sam's a great claw hammer player, too. Um, and then original music, it's really rewarding to have a band of amazing musicians play your music and also bring a new tune and see what they do with it and what kind of stuff that we play. Yeah. Do you have any albums we can buy? I do. There's our full length one is called In This Time and then we have a little EP which I think is just called EP. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And those have been really fun projects cool and you've also got a great recent solo album which is called paths and places i'm wondering if one of the paths is the river of sup but uh it's <laughs> it's full of songs and fiddle tunes it sounds amazing could you pick a song we could listen to real quick and then get your thoughts on sure what well, could be any of them <laughs> <laughs> See 
the sea. Yes, it is your true love. I won't fight it anymore. I can't be on the sea. Goodbye, my dear. I will watch close and dear. Yes, it is your true love. I won't fight it anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting. That one also kind of came to me like as I was waking up. I was in Ireland a couple years ago and I woke up in the middle of the night with that melody and that first line of the song in my head and I kind of drowsily wrote it you know typed it into my notes in my phone uh-huh. and tried to decipher it later that that day when I was sitting on the beach and I kind of finished writing it and I also I, no- I noticed a lot of the tunes I was writing and songs up to that point were had a lot of minor chords and kind of dark and I really wanted to write a song that had zero minor chords huh. so so that's kind of how that came together and and yeah one of the important things about writing music that a lot of people forget is that it's actually a process to write a tune and the first thing that you're writing down on that paper is not a finished polished amazing product you know people want all their ideas to be good but sometimes you have to work with them would you say with that song that it, it kind of just fell out of the sky into your brain and was perfect, or did it take any kind of, uh, did you have to work on it a little more? Oh, I definitely worked on it. I mean, just that first part kind of fell into my brain, which I wish that happened more often. It doesn't, but just the da 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 Again, I kept hearing other, like, minor chords in there, and for whatever reason I had, like, I will not put a minor chord in this song it'll be the one song i have that's just three chords so so i kind of had to alter the melody and there were a few drafts and and then my man mason town actually kind of helped me you know make it come to life i remember we first played it at a little bluegrass festival in pueblo and um and yeah i i can't say i have the same process for every song because everything you know mm-hmm. sometimes it's the chord progression you think of first or the words or this theme a lot of my tunes i write on banjo or there's a tune first that i think could have words and so you kind of have to make the words fit into the tune but it's yeah there's usually quite a bit of editing process in there well and there's also you have a song i believe about eating pork i do yeah piggy piggy pie which will be on i did record another album it's it's not even in mixing yet so it's still pretty still pretty fresh but that will be on there Daryl Anger, who was my fiddle hero when I was 11 years old, and who I now get to play with sometimes in the Daryl Anger in the Furies, you had him on a on the album, and you're, you're trading licks with him. Yeah, that was kind of a wild dream because same with you. I've grown up listening to Daryl, whether I knew it was Daryl or not, but mm-hmm. you know all the old David Grisman stuff and everything he's he's been on and joe who produced my album is also in a band with daryl called mr sun that's right they're so good you should check them out if you haven't and you know if you're in a band with someone you're in in regular contact so i just texted him hey you want you want a studio gig Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's the cool thing that i've i've learned with music is you know never never forget to just ask someone people are usually happy to help out and you know especially if you're i mean wouldn't that be awesome if someone came to you oh my gosh i've been listening to you since i was a kid will you play on my album you'd be like of course i will are you kidding me (laughs) you know 
I don't get a sense of competition from you. I get a sense of like, we're in this together. We're fiddle players in Colorado. Like, let's play music together. This is fun. I think I get that sense when I listen to you and Daryl trading licks on the album, which is really fun. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. He's, well, you've maybe been in the studio with him before. I don't know. But it's almost exactly how you'd think it would be. You know, listening to Daryl in your headphones and, you know, random yelling in between songs is pretty fun. Um, (laughs) But uh, I guess I think that's very along the lines of River of Suck. I think we all struggle with enough... Um, internal, personal issues when it comes to music and low self-esteem or trying to get past the other thing. Mm -hmm. You know, having another person you know is going through that same thing and being able to talk about that is is so much more helpful than being competitive and... I don't know. I've never been a much of a competitive person. Even when I played sports, like soccer, my coach was always trying me, trying to get me to be aggressive. Like I got a yellow card once, and he was so <laughs> proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, what is what is life about if it's not about trying to help each other out and you know, sharing some feel good moments which music to me always is if you can collaborate with fun people and and spread that well that sounds like we should play a fiddle tune together hey (laughs) (laughs) i like fiddle tunes oh what about the the joke on the puppy oh yeah
when I want to know what's going on with Natalie Padilla, I go to nataliepadillamusic.com. <laughs> yes, that is a good place to go when my website is updated. It's, it will be updated soon <laughs> to find dates and such. But so, so just open it on your browser window and, and keep it, reloading right. every 10 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Forever. And it, and it might update itself eventually. But <laughs> but yes, I did finally sign up for a MailChimp. And so I'm going to put a little sign up on there. And that'll be that'll probably be the best way to keep up with like the new album that comes out. I'm going to do some pre-sales. Um, not through Kickstarter, just good old-fashioned pre-sales. I'll bet you by the time this podcast comes out, there will be an email list sign up right there. That's right. This is good incentive. (laughs) (laughs) You can join the River of Suck swim team and gain instant access to bonus content for just $1 a month. For episode three, this includes extended interviews and outtakes, as well as Polaris meows, MP3s of the music you've been hearing, and the duo jams we've been exploring. Joining the River of Suck swim team at riverofsuck.com also gives you the opportunity to interact, leave comments, ask questions of future guests, and truly help support the creation of this podcast. Thank you, Natalie, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great to hear your thoughts on music and life, and now I'm going to go have to make some peanut sauce. Yes. I highly recommend putting it on some vegetables and rice. So good. But not too much garlic. Not too much garlic. Nope. Not too much maple syrup either. (laughs) It's so good to be in the river of suck. (laughs) Thank you.